I would say my biggest challenge starting out were two things, time management and figuring out how I would be able to make my side hustle replace my full-time income. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Today's episode is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto offers modern, easy payroll benefits and HR to small businesses across the country. They were even named Best Online Payroll by PC Mag. And as a Side Hustle Pro listener, you will get three months free when you run your first payroll. So sign up and give it a try at gusto.com slash SHP. That's gusto.com slash SHP. Hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here, and today I am back with a Q&A episode. I haven't done one of these in a while, and I've had questions come in. I also just put up an ask the other day on um, Instagram, so I've gotten some questions there, as well as from Twitter and my inbox. And I picked the best 10 that I thought would be most helpful to everyone. So I'm going to get into those in a second. I got a you know, about three podcast questions, but these are not all about podcasting. So stick around and hear all of them. And remember that if you have a question for me, you can email me at any time. Hi at sidehustlepro.co. And in the subject line, put hashtag ask Nikayla, because I'm going to be starting in 2020 doing a segment where I just include a, a question in each episode, all right, so that I can get to these more frequently. So I might not respond to the email right away, but I'm keeping all these questions for this segment. So just email me, hi at sidehustlepro.co. All righty, so question number one, it says, Nikayla, you had heavy hitters on the podcast from the beginning. I'd love to hear how you were able to land big names when you were just starting out. Well, first of all, thank you from, for listening from the very beginning. Um, you know, shout out to everyone who's been in the guest chair. So this is what I always tell people when they are starting out and you want to do an interview podcast or show or blog, whatever, and interview who you consider to be heavy hitters. First of all, when you're starting out, Start interviewing the homies. <laughs> I did a bunch of interviews starting with my network, people I knew, starting from when it was um, on my blog, Kayla K Speaks, to when I finally started the podcast, I reached out to some of those people again. And you want to do this for a couple of reasons. The first is probably obvious, right? You know them. So it's easier to get them in the guest chair. They're going to be people who are supportive of your dream. So they're like, sure, of course, we can, you know, I can give you an hour of my time. We can do that. Sure. Even when your show hasn't even launched yet. Right. Like they're going to be more likely to do that. Um, and number two, you also want to get some practice in. You want to get practice in interviewing people verbally versus like, for example, when I was doing the blog, it would be more of I send them question things. Rather, I rarely got on the phone and, you know, um, recorded our interview that way. So you want to get practice in before you reach out to heavy hitters so you can start to learn the kinks of being an interviewer. How do you um, ask questions that really get people to start talking? How do you uh, cut them off if they're talking too much. <laughs> How do you set chemistry between you and a guest um, and build a rapport, even if you don't know each other that well? 
all those things you want to kind of get comfortable with so that when you do reach out to a heavy hitter, not only is your show launch, you can share some statistics about the impact, about the reach, but then you also are more comfortable interviewing them. So how I reached out to people though, I sent a cold email. So I, you guys know, I love a cold email. I've become um, way more comfortable with them and um, confident in sending them. And so my strategy with cold email is customization and personalization. It takes me time to send out a cold email because I'm not just copying and pasting. So I receive a lot of cold emails myself, pitches to be in the guest chair. And I'm gonna be honest, 95% of them are bad. Terrible because one, they sometimes don't even spell my name right or even put a name at all. It will just say hello, comma, hi, comma. So you can see that people are just blasting, emailing a whole bunch of podcasts, hoping to just get their name out there. Um, when you look self-serving, people really don't want to work with you or do anything for you or be in your guest chair. So you have to make the email about them. So what I like to do, you know, the first few sentences, I'll say who I am, what the podcast is about. Um, the next... Uh, sentence or, or a little paragraph after that is actually just um, brief stats about the podcast. No more than three or four sentences, you guys. And then I have a why and then guest name section. And then with that section, I share, you know, personal, real reasons why I think they would be an awesome resource to the Side Hustle Pro audience. So just to recap, what I do is introduce myself and the show, what it's about. I share some brief stats about the show. So that includes things like the reach, the listenership, and also who the audience is. So when you are reaching out to people who are very busy and have appeared on, you know, shows with bigger audiences, bigger in terms of, you know, how many, um, downloads that that show might get per episode per week or what have you, you want them, you want something about it to trigger an emotion in them. Like, why should I do this one thing? Or what is interesting about this show? And usually for me, I know that my angle of who they'll be talking to will resonate with them because they were once in my listener's shoe. So that is what I make sure to highlight by telling them who my audience is. And then, of course, I end with the why them section and then um, wrap up with, you know, if they'd like to, to be in the guest chair and learn more, here's how to schedule. And I include the scheduling link right away. Initially, I didn't use to include the scheduling link, but I wanted to make sure if they were moved to take action, they could do so right then and that there wouldn't have to be another email where they could potentially get distracted or, you know, not forward to their assistant and get something on the calendar right away. So that is how I booked heavy hitters in the beginning and continue to book heavy hitters who I don't know because the majority of my guests I have not met in person. And um, it's always fun when I meet them in person. I'm like, and I have different hair or something. I'm like, hi, I'm Nikayla. <laughs> so these are not people I know and I'm still reaching out to them. So good luck with what you're doing. All right. Number two, what platform is best when starting a podcast? So um, the person who asked this, I'm going to assume you mean where should you host your podcast? So for those who don't know, a host, if you're starting a podcast, you need a place to host your files. So there are a lot of um, online site software that does this for you now. So basically, you don't have to host on your website, slow your website down with a whole bunch of, um, you know, big ass files <laughs> for your podcast. Um 
not to mince words. So I use a platform called Libsyn. It is very well known in the industry. I would say almost like one of the industry standards first, just a really seamless, straightforward host that also provides accurate statistics. This is huge. No matter what platform you choose, just make sure their statistics are recognized by Apple. So search Apple Podcast Partners and a website will come up where Apple shares with you all of the podcast hosts that they approve of, meaning that when it's time for you to do anything with your stats, to list your stats in a media kit, to pitch sponsors, what have you, they want to be able to trust and you want to be able to make sure that you have the most accurate stats. So First of all, choose a host that is recognized. And second of all, play around, test out a few, and go with the one that you feel most comfortable with the user interface. Because that means you're not going to procrastinate. You're not going to be intimidated by the tech. You're going to get started that much quicker. So if you want to get started with Libsyn, you can use my promo code. It's Hustle Pro. So that gives you all the rest of this month and all of next month free. Um, whenever you use it, always start it in, you know, the middle or a, a week or so into the month. So you get all of that month and the full next month free. So you can check that out and test it out um, for free to see how you feel about that. I know some of my podcast moguls also use Anchor because they can just do that via their phone. And I'm like, so be it. Like if that means that you are going to get started sooner, then use that because I want you guys to have less barriers between you and getting started. All right. Question number three. Someone said, asked me, what were the first challenges you had, aka getting episodes on Apple Podcasts, etc.? So I didn't have any technical challenges with getting the episodes on Apple Podcasts um, because that's a pretty straightforward process. I would say my biggest challenge starting out <laughs> were two things, time management and figuring out how I would be able to make my side hustle replace my full-time income. So let's start with number one. Number one, at first, even though I was very dedicated to doing my podcast for a year and I was very dedicated to side hustling and finally really finding and, and landing on something that I could do that would allow me to become an entrepreneur. But I would suffer from what most people suffer from when you have a full-time job. If I had a bad day at work, I wouldn't feel sometimes like coming home and working on the podcast or working on my side hustle. I would let my emotions dictate my schedule a lot. So I had to learn pretty quickly how to kind of get into a soldier mentality and just stick to a schedule that would work for me. So when I say a soldier mentality, like, let me relax. Like, I'm not talking about I was getting up at 3 a.m. As you guys might have heard me say many times, I'm not that early riser person. I'm also not that stay up till 2 a.m. person, you know, like I like to get my rest when I can. So I had to devise a plan that was going to help me to move forward, but also realistic. And for me, that was my one hour a day plan. And that's what I've shared with you guys before, the Goal Getter Action Plan. I focused on, okay, I'm just going to reward myself. Girl, if you can just do this one hour a day, clap for yourself. And guess what? That one hour added up because that meant that was a focused hour that I was doing what I was supposed to do and that every week things were getting done and the podcast was coming out each and every week because of that. So that was how I dealt with that challenge. And then the second challenge of figuring out 
how I would be able to quit my job, I had to start testing. I had to get over um, any shyness I was feeling about putting myself out there with selling because I wasn't comfortable selling. I wasn't comfortable asking people for money when I first started out. And um, about six months in, I, you know, through through investing in learning from other people and, you know, how to launch an online course and, um, you know, what platforms you can use to collect payment and these kind of different things. That's when I said, let me start to test my own freebies, my own, um, well, I had been testing freebies before, but I said, let me start to test packaging my knowledge and putting a price tag on that. And so that's how I began figuring out how to be able to uh, leave my job. I started testing out revenue streams. I also uh, start testing out sponsorships. So again, I sent a cold email to my very first sponsor and I had also invested in some sponsorship training, you know, so <laughs> you see the pattern here. As soon as I invest in something, I then would put that um, information to use and start to test out the techniques myself. So that was how I started to earn my very first dollars in as a side hustler and grew that through continuing to learn, continuing to practice, continuing to improve upon um, any uh, shortcomings that I saw or anything that you know could be tighter, just continue to get tighter until I was able to save and, and ensure that I would be able to replicate this income over and over again. So those were the challenges and how I overcame them. Alrighty, number four. How long did it take for your business to start to fund your lifestyle? Oh, so I didn't even mean to do this, but these questions go hand in hand, back to back. Um, or at least my answer for the last question goes hand in hand with this one. My business essentially funded my lifestyle right away. I didn't quit my job until my business could cover my uh, living expenses, my life expenses, plus my business expenses. So that means that I knew I had for sure two set revenue streams that I could replicate month over month. And I also had um, a little, some savings to fall back on. And I also keep my lifestyle pretty, um, uh, what's the word? I also keep my lifestyle pretty ordinary and reasonable. So while I do love my mani petties and I do love hair, <laughs> My biggest expense is probably hair on the personal side. Um, while I love these things, I we live within our means, me and Moyo, and he's really big on that. Um, but I definitely have learned to do so as well. So I don't own or spend on anything too lavish. Like I don't, there are no purchases that I regret because I just got a little crazy and was like, oh, I'm making money. I don't have any of those stories. Um, everything I've purchased, I own, I use, you know, I don't just have lavish things sitting around just for show. So I made sure before I left, um, and I used to tell myself, one of my goals was if I can just make 5,000 a month, like at first, cause that was like, that would make sure that our rent, our bills, our food, like everything. Like if I had to, you know, um, pay for everything myself, I also wanted to make sure that I could cover that. So that was like a first benchmark that I aimed to make in my revenue above business expenses, above taxes. Okay. And, and just have that. And once I felt that I was able to do that, that is when I started making plans to leave. Um, so I was able to pay expenses, put aside my taxes, pay myself and save. And I've been able to do that since I left December 2017. Um, I mean, I knew that this was the benchmark that I was setting before I quit my job. I knew that I was holding myself to that standard that I would not allow myself to leave before doing that. But I was still really 
proud of myself when I looked back after a year and said, wow, you know, I've made six figures in my business and and I paid myself and I saved and I, you know, I'm going to have that check for Uncle Sam. Like all of that occurred and it's, it's, it's occurring um, for this next year as well. So that is that has been my experience. Now, I recognize while saying this, though, because I know who asked this question and I'm not I'm keeping the, the people anonymous because I don't know if they wanted their names revealed, but I recognize that we have different types of businesses. So here's the thing. When starting a business, sometimes your business is in a space that will take you a longer time to get money. It You're going to spend more money investing in it, building the team to make this business what it is. And that means that you have to decide, what can I do right now to make money, to fund my lifestyle a little bit more so that I can quit the nine to five. And so in order to do that, you have to think, start thinking about things that are low overhead, high margins. Um, Those things are not always product businesses. Um, So you might be starting a product business, but this is why a lot of product business owners who you've even seen come on Side Hustle Pro are also starting to teach their own Um, courses or release a book, you know, because they also need something that is going to require no overhead whatsoever that they can use to make money and know that that is also recurring revenue, solid revenue each and every month that will fund their other business. And so for me, even, I always am transparent about the fact that I'm not sure where the podcasting industry is going. I don't know what this looks like in even one year, two year, well, one year, I think I know, but, you know, three years, five years, 10 years, right? However, what I do know is that Moyo and I, we have dreams of doing some other more capital intensive businesses. And right now, our goal is to continue to make an impact. And my goal is to continue to make an impact in this way, but not, but stack, but save as much as possible so that when there does come a time that I am working in a business that's not going to pay me for years, <laughs> I don't have to um, automatically go looking for funding and have it to give away pieces of my business in order to continue to make this business grow. So that's something to think about as well as your side hustling. There are side hustles you do to for to raise capital for yourself. There are side hustles you do because you have a longer term goal of a biz, for, for a business that might not make money right away. Another example I love to, to make this more plain and clear for you guys, um, Arsha Jones, who was on Side Hustle Pro, she talked on her episode about she had her business, Tease in the Trap, which was an online e-commerce business. And she was very able to keep that as a very, um, you know, low overhead operation. But her bigger mission-driven family, you know, leaving a legacy enterprise is her Capital City Mambo Sauce business. And with that business... That obviously requires way more overhead, way more investment, way more, you know, team, uh, way, way, a way bigger team. And that means that you need to fund that. So one business was funding the other. You know what I mean? So it's very smart. And that's why a lot of people are classified as serial entrepreneurs, because although I often say that, again, (laughs) 
I don't know what will come in 10 years. I know that I want to be a serial entrepreneur that can fund her other ventures with capital that I have stacked. So I hope that your business can start to fund your lifestyle even sooner. But if not, start thinking about the knowledge you have or other ways or other things that you can sell or do um, that will support your business and can invest into your business so that you can free up a salary for yourself. All right. Now let's get into number five. How do you stay true to yourself with all the success you have experienced lately? Okay, so I read this question in one of two ways. It could be like, you know, how do I remain centered um, given like, you know, um, some of the the articles or, you know, TV appearances I've had, or it could also mean like, um, how do I stay humble? So let me see, let me address both. So how do I stay true to myself is, I mean, I keep doing what I always do. I am... Um, I don't want to call myself boring, but <laughs> my my best friend who is an entrepreneur in residence, Lisa, always her one of her nicknames for me is grandma because she knows that my favorite place to be is on my very own couch. Um, I focus on what I always do. I podcast. I watch Netflix with hubby. I teach my podcast mogul students. I hang out with, I call friends and I study other entrepreneurs and, you know, I spend time on social media and the cycle repeats, right? Like, so <laughs> I haven't started doing different things. I haven't tried to like buy a mansion or anything like that. <laughs> so that's how I stay true to myself. I just continue doing what I'm doing, focusing on the goal of where I want to get to. As far as how do I stay humble, <laughs> there are a couple of things I think about when I think about this question. So first of all, um, you know what's humbling? What is humbling is when... <laughs> You have all this quote unquote success, but your mom still doesn't understand what you do or how to explain it to people. <laughs> and my mom told me the other day, she was like, you know, I was in church and, you know, so-and-so's dad told me that he saw, um, you know, that that his daughter shared your Facebook post or something. And he was asking me more about what you do. And, you know, I really didn't know what to tell him. <laughs> And so yet again, I try to explain to her what I do, how to access podcasts, all that good stuff. And and I love it because, you know, honestly, I my parents have always been that way. Like when I st- told them I want to, to major in communications, they were like, what? What is that? Why? You know, what about economics? So it is humbling because I still know that there's so many people who don't understand what I do. And you don't have that validation. Like I always say, when they're so... Many people who you're like, oh, I, you know, I'm ad sales executive at Google. And they're like, ooh, ah, and, you know, their eyes just light up. As a podcaster, you don't get that validation. As someone who is um, a marketing and podcast coach, I don't get that validation. So there's no reason for me to get a big head. And I, I don't want that validation, right? Like, I know what I do. I know who I do it for. And that's what keeps me going. So that's number one. And also, I... I also remember that press does not pay the bills, you guys. Like, while it is cool to post on social media and it's fun and I'm grateful because I I really, you know, I believe that I'm on assignment and I'm I'm following the steps as much as possible. I'm trying to listen so that I can follow the steps. But I don't believe that this is happening because of some extraordinary talent or something inside of myself, I feel that I am just really 
committed to doing the best work with what knowledge I've been given. And I'm going to go hard with that. And I feel like anyone could do that. So you can do it too. So that's number one. And number two is the press doesn't pay the bill. So going back to that point, right? So, you know, while it's nice to be recognized and be on the Today Show or in Oprah Magazine, um, shout out to Oprah Magazine for uh, featuring Style House of Pro. So those Things don't directly get you more money, for example. Like I, Nikayla, still have to go out, you know, the saying, eat what you kill. I still have to eat what I kill every week. So I'm going out there and I still have to pitch sponsors. And so, yes, what these press press hits do is now I can update my media kit, right? And I can say as seen in, as seen on and add some more uh, logos and up my rate because of that. But... I still have to proactively go out there and sell, whether that is my podcast for sponsorship, whether that is my programming, what have you. It all depends on my actions. And so not only do I not have time to get caught up in all that other stuff, but I also um, know that it doesn't directly pay the bill. So it also doesn't make sense to let that get to my head. So I hope all of that made sense for you. And, you know, if someone can let me know how I can possibly make it easier for my mom to know what I do. I would really appreciate that. (laughs) Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. If you have a business or you know someone who does, you probably know by now that small business owners, we wear a lot of hats. And some of those hats are mad fun, I'm not gonna lie. But some of them, like filing taxes and running payroll, they're not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for us small businesses. It's fast with simple payroll processing benefits and expert HR support all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes, so you don't have to worry about all that. Plus, they make it easy to add on things like health benefits and even 401ks for your team. So those old school clunky payroll providers that you probably thought you had to look at, they they just weren't built for the way we work as modern small businesses, but Gusto is. So let them wear all of those hats for you. You have better things to do. Side Hustle Pro listeners, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. So test it out. See for yourself at gusto.com slash SHP. That's gusto.com slash SHP. Number six, how do you overcome procrastination, especially from fear and imposter syndrome? So let me address uh, procrastination itself first, just generally. I've often shared that I like to identify my mental blocks and then come up with mental block breakers. So whenever you experience what I call a mental block, a.k.a. just not moving, like knowing what you're supposed to be doing, but literally just not doing it. It's usually because you have a task that needs to be broken down even more. It's usually because it has become so big, it's daunting to you. So what I like to do is come up with a mental, what I call a mental block breaker. So that is identifying a small task that I can do to move forward. So you can do the same thing with procrastination, like, okay, what is a small thing that I could do? Um, 
I do that a lot when it comes to uh, video content or any kind of content. Sometimes it's overwhelming because I know, oh, there's so much I could put into it. There's so much I want to say. So I say, okay, let's break this down. All right. How about if I just with some bullet points, outline the first half or first two or three points that I want to make. How about I try to come up with the title or or overarching theme? Like whatever is going to be that small task that's going to move me forward, then I will feel good about myself for that day, okay? And I will save the recording for the very last thing. So by the time I get to recording, I literally have a script. I already know what I'm going to say. So then it's no longer this daunting task over my head. Now, That said, I don't think procrastination is something we ever fully overcome. Like, oh, I'm not a procrastinator. I don't do that thing no more. What I learned recently when I listened to a great podcast, um, the podcast is Therapy for Black Girls, episode 128. It's called Why Do We Procrastinate? And this podcast was right on time because it was in the midst of one of my procrastination spells. And um, with procrastination, the guest uh, doctor said that uh, Dr. Andala, I believe her name is, she said a few things that really hit home for me. So the first one, quote, there is an internal psychological process that's happening that's keeping you from pursuing something at a pace that's most efficient, end quote. And she also says, quote, a lot of times when we're procrastinating, there is something about the activity that brings up negative emotions for us, negative feelings, end quote. So your body and mind wants to stop feeling these negative feelings. It doesn't want to deal with it. So you try to avoid it. It can procrastinate because you feel better when you are avoiding those feelings and you're not dealing with those feelings. So once you recognize that this is an emotional thing and, you know, this is why, and I recognized that before I even listened to this podcast, I knew that I needed mental block breakers. I knew that there was something about this task that was making me avoid it. And and I thought it was just, oh, it's too big. But this podcast helped me to recognize that it's even more than big. It is some associations that we have going on in our mind that we've associated with these projects, these tasks, whether we're afraid of failing, whether we're afraid of doing it wrong, whether we're afraid of someone's feedback, whether we're afraid of some people not liking it, whether we're afraid of how our voice sounds, whatever it is, It is emotional and we got to deal with our emotions. So I highly recommend listening to that episode, episode 128 of uh, Therapy for Black Girls, because in that episode, um, Dr. Andale and um, Dr. Joy talk about four steps you can think about and work through when procrastination is a problem for you. I'm not even going to pretend I'm a doctor and give you any more breakdown of this concept, but it was very helpful for me. So I highly recommend checking it out and I will be linking to it in the show notes as well. Alrighty. Now, oh, to focus on um, fear and imposter syndrome specifically. So not only now that I know um, that procrastination is so tied to emotions. So my approach moving forward is to really just take a step back and, and unpack, okay, why am I feeling these emotions? Which What about this assignment? What about this project, this thing that I've set out to do is making me avoid it. So first of all, just identifying what it is, what that emotion is, is is my number one step um, when I'm beginning to procrastinate from now on so that I can identify it, then come up with my mental block breakers and get through it. Now, when it comes to fear, what has really helped me with fear, and I hope this helps you too, is knowing that 
99% of the things I have feared in life have never, ever come true. (laughs) Never. Okay. So I've come to see that it is pointless to let fear hinder or paralyze you. That said, I am not naive. I know fear is still going to come for me. It's still going to be there. That's why I said don't let it hinder or paralyze you. I'm not saying don't have fear because that is, you can't even control that. You will have fear. But what um, is a mental shift that I've made is that fear is a good thing. Fear actually gives me adrenaline. And then that adrenaline often gives me the juice I need to kill a presentation. Um, Moyo has this thing he always says to me, like, you always show up. Anytime I'm feeling down on myself because I'm I'm like feeling fear about an activity and then that, speaking of emotions, right, causes me to procrastinate a bit, then I'm reminded by him that I always show up. Like even if I'm taking this moment to sit in my fear and to worry and to be nervous about it, I know that when game time comes... I'm going to go out there, I'm going to put on a brave brave face, and I am going to kill it. Um, Every single thing you've ever seen me do publicly, I have a moment of fear. And then I go out there and I push through that. So that is all adrenaline, pure adrenaline pumping through my veins, you guys. Um, Do the same thing with fear, okay? Use it to your advantage. And then as far as imposter syndrome goes, so... The most helpful thing for me has been bearing witness to so many people who are winging it, but they just have confidence. You know, they know no more than anybody else. They are figuring it out as they go, but they have confidence. And winging it isn't necessarily a bad thing. It is recognizing that there might not be a blueprint. You have to forge ahead with the best information available to you. You have to trust that you are smart enough to figure things out. That is huge with imposter syndrome. You have to recognize that there is not, there are not enough textbooks in the world that will ever teach you everything you need to know so that you will always, always feel smart enough to do something. There is no amount of articles. There's no amount of Instagram stories you can scroll through, motivational quotes you can, you know, uh, just stockpile in your mind. There's no amount of that stuff that's going to prepare you for every new height that you're going to go to. Every new height is going to come with a challenge and a, and a mix of, I have no idea how to do this. What has helped me with imposter syndrome is realizing, like coming to terms with this reality and knowing that I have to forge ahead with the best information available to me, trust that I can figure it out. I am just as capable as anybody else to figure it out and then learn as I go and be proud of myself for learning as I go. Even if I fumble or stumble or did something I wish I hadn't done because I didn't know, you don't know until you know, I still have that pride in myself for going after it because so many people are not going after it. They're sitting on the the sidelines. They're talking about everybody else who's going after it, judging people who are going after it, and they're not going after it. I would rather be the person going after it. How about you? So that helps me. And then finally, y'all, I remember being at Google when I interned um, between my first and second year of business school. And I remember feeling like, or not even feeling like, recognizing, seeing in front of my face, seeing the dynamics of my team and seeing that sometimes the smartest people in our team, in the room, were just really 
good talkers. The people who, I shouldn't say the smartest people in the room, but the people who were viewed as the smartest people in the room were, they were just really good talkers. Okay. Talkers. Why can't I talk today? Speaking of talkers, (laughs) they just carried themselves with confidence. For example, the executives on my sales team, and this is not a knock on anybody. Again, this is observation. Okay. Their job As an executive, your job, of course, you have people who are under you. They're your managers and they interface directly um, with the day-to-day needs of the clients, the customer service aspects. So you manage those people. But ultimately, your main job is you are the face of this sales team. So they were the ones that make sure the clients are happy when we fly out to team um, on-site visits. They're the ones that are the closers. They make the deals. They make sure we continue to have these clients. And they were the ones that were brought in to talk and present. But the real smartest people on the team, you guys, were the people crunching the numbers, running the charts, putting together the slide decks that analyzed all the different, you know, analyzed all the data related to the client's business as it relates to the advertising they were doing. And they would put this information into slide decks that the execs would then use to present when you go to these on-site visits with the clients. And I remember there was one um, guy, you know, on the analytics side who crunched these numbers. He had like a PhD in statistics. And do you know this guy always looked nervous and doubtful, like doubting himself? I'm like, dude, you're the only person who can run these analyses. You are the only person who understands this, like for real, for real, down and gritty with these numbers. You are the ish. So it just goes to show you that it's all perspective. If you carry yourself with confidence, then you're going to be seen as confident and you're going to be seen as capable. And so I left the number one takeaway I um, left with was have confidence. That is the the biggest, biggest uh, key to success when it comes to whether it's a job or entrepreneurship. I'm not talking about lying. I'm not talking about, you know, sometimes fake it till you make it uh, really leads people astray. Okay, (laughs) can't just keep faking things. Okay, you want to you want to carry yourself with confidence and trust yourself to learn as you go is is my um, mantra. So that always comes to mind when I'm tempted to doubt myself or have imposter syndrome is the experiences that I've had and what I've observed. All right, now let's get into question number seven. Question number seven is, when making money, do you cash out and pay tax? How do you cash out and pay taxes? Excuse me. Do you have an arrangement for deduction? Okay, so um, I have an LLC. My business is an LLC. For now, I do my own Bookkeeping, I do have an accountant and taxes, but really just come tax time. Um, I do, you know, I use um, tools online, of course, to keep track of invoices and all of that, which I've shared with you guys. Um, check out FreshBooks, SideHustle Pro, no, FreshBooks.com slash SideHustle Pro. Um, and I keep track of all revenue and expenses myself. Then I put aside the percentage based on my tax bracket for the IRS, Uncle Sam's money. It is ready for him in a separate account come tax time, and I pay a lump sum come tax time. Now, that is um, becoming less and less ideal for me. It is really sad to part with it. So in 2020, I will be shifting to an S-Corp, shifting my LLC to an S-Corp and paying taxes uh, quarterly. So that is what I currently do and what I will be shifting into. And I talk a little bit about that with uh, Maya Elias in our live episode, if you want to go back and listen to that. 
Number eight, any advice on how to find insurance? Okay, so I'm assuming you're talking about health insurance. I use the healthcare marketplace, healthcare.gov. It's definitely expensive. It's another one of those things that is a pain about being an entrepreneurship, being your own boss. It's like, I cannot believe this is so expensive. Um, it's like its own rent check when you're an entrepreneur, but it's necessary and it's worth it. So don't do not quit your job unless you can afford an extra, depending on where you live and the plan you choose, 400 to 700 a month for health insurance. OK, yes, go ahead and put that in your list of things you got to afford every month before you quit. OK, <laughs> number nine. All right. So this is a multi question question. So let's break this down. First part of the question, what type of events, um, aka small intimate events, conferences, etc., did you speak at for free when you first started? So yes, I spoke at small events, things such as um, like a small boutique creative uh, creators uh, conference that was no more than like 15 people. We all had a like workshop day in a room. I also, I remember I did someone's summit um, about side hustling and a few other things like that. So very small, no more than 20 to 50 people when I first started out. Um, the next question, did you pitch for them? So, and if so, how did you pitch these organize, organizers so you could practice? So I, um, for the initial two, for my first two speaking engagements as Side Hustle Pro, you know, host of Side Hustle Pro, I was pitched um, by then. And this is why building up your personal brand, especially on Instagram, is so important because I had because I was so intensive with that, had built up a following that attracted people's interest. And so I was um, pitched to speak at those things. Now, I, after speaking at a few of those things and um, learning and, and understanding, okay, how do I get a crowd going? How do I get engagement? Um, what's the best way to present this information? I started to pitch other conferences and I did not pitch them so I could practice. You do not want to pitch anybody <laughs> and say, I want to practice. You know that you are getting experience, okay? That is enough for you to know. You don't need to tell anybody, oh, I just want to do your event to practice. No. Um, but I will say and I will recommend practicing with free talks first. That takes the pressure off yourself. Instead of like worrying about negotiating your fee and all this other stuff, just focus on delivering value because one, you're forming good relationships with the event organizers and the attendees and you'll be thought of for other things, especially when you post on Instagram, just did this great talk here, blah, blah, blah. And you start to show people, oh, she does speaking engagements. Oh, hmm. you know, mental note that they take. Um, but no, don't pitch anyone that you're, just, you're, you're, you're um, trying to practice. What you will do is practice before you present, you know, practice with some of your friends um, presenting. Don't just get up and it's the first time you've ever tried to run through your slide deck. Um, no, practice at home in your living room in front of people or by yourself, uh, definitely before you get on stage. Another thing I want to say about this is once I felt more comfortable teaching and speaking, 
um, that's when I started to pitch myself. So again, with this idea of people reached out to me, um, they knew who I was. They knew, you know, I wasn't someone who was doing a lot of speaking. So they were also young organizers as well. Young meaning that they this was um, a new initiative that they were doing in their business. So together we were learning. So we both felt comfortable trusting each other and understood where which level we were at. Um, so that's why it's really good to, you know, talk amongst your peers, do events with your peers, people who are at your level and come up together essentially um and then once i felt comfortable doing and i'd done a few of those i started to pitch myself with a fee and really you know i would give a two sentence intro hello my name what i do and then an overview of the session that i was proposing as well as like as well as like bullet points about what the key takeaways from the session would be for the audience and then finally you know wrap it up with a bio not a huge bio i had a bio um especially for pitches and um that's what I would do. And if you're interested in more like pitch and branding content from me, let me know and I could put this together in like a freebie or something. So finally, get those reps in. Like I said in my last episode, get those reps in. So when I had never done a speaking engagement before, it took pressure off me to do it for free. Um, after a few of them, I was comfortable charging, let's say, you know, a thousand or uh, what have you. Or, and you know, sometimes you negotiate, you get less than a thousand. Then, um, you know, after I worked my way up, I also want to shout out University of Michigan for reaching out to me, the Black Business Students Association, and having me uh, moderate a fireside chat with Tristan Walker of Bevel and uh, Walker & Co. And those kind of things, again, you might not get paid initially. However, the being able to post about it and being able to share it with your network leads to other opportunities. So because of that, I had another opportunity at University of Michigan where I actually did get paid a nice little figure. Okay. And that was as a, a solid, uh, straightforward keynote myself, just me giving a keynote presentation. So that is what I recommend. And when you get in your reps, you can start charging more and more as you feel more and more comfortable and get more and more experience. And the final part of this question was, I've been seeing a lot of small to big name conferences charging speakers to participate in their conference. One conference was charging aspiring speakers over $1,000 to speak because of the caliber of keynote speakers they had, i.e. Lisa Nichols, Ian Van Zandt. Any thoughts, advice on this? So my thoughts and advice is I would not pay to speak at a conference. And here's why. For me, it sounds like the okie doke. I just don't know anyone personally who is a speaker who has to pay to speak. So it's the opposite way. Like speakers are supposed to earn a speaking fee. And it sounds to me like the conference, it's it's an okie doke, another revenue stream for them. And they're exploiting people who want to get that experience and share the same, say they can share the same stage with these people. If you got that kind of money and you want to do that, that's fine. I personally wouldn't do it. I would rather invest that $1,000 into trainings on speaking and trainings on personal branding and marketing myself to make me the caliber of speaker that gets requests to speak and can't command the fee I want. I've never had to pay to speak and I now charge, you know, anywhere between five to seven thousand and the price is going up for speaking engagements simply by getting in my reps. So... I would not invest $1,000 to speak because as I mentioned before as well, like these um, press and speaking engagements don't 
directly pay your bills. So some people sell from the stage, right? They'll put up an offer and they will try to convert some people into customers. Um, that's very hard to do when you're you're just starting out. So you're not necessarily, actually it's highly unlikely that you'll make that money back on stage unless you have that experience. And if you have that experience, chances are you don't need to be paying to speak there. You can go somewhere else, command a fee and get people for your business if that's your um, ultimate goal. And finally, one thing I'll say about speaking is, you know what's given me a lot more confidence in speaking and presenting? Doing this podcast. Doing this podcast has helped me to grow as a speaker. It has, you know, if you listen back to my first episodes to now, I feel like I've grown as um, a speaker, an interviewer, a presenter, and that Adrenaline also comes with a sense of calm that comes over me now when I get on stage because I feel confident, because I've done this before, because I've gotten my reps in, because this is my 174th episode. You know what you feel like when you've done 174 episodes getting in front of a microphone, speaking your thoughts, interviewing people, being leading a conversation, carrying a conversation? So... You already know I love podcasts, but if you have not already thought about that and you want to become a speaker, then I would highly recommend that as well to get your practice in. And you know where to go to if you want to learn more about becoming a podcaster and building your brand, head over to podcastmoguls.com. Now, you guys, I will not be doing another training until 2020, but go over to podcastmoguls.com to get on the list for the next training and to get notified when the next cohort opens up. All right. And with that, I will talk to you next week. Hey, hey, thanks for listening. Now stay connected in between episodes by texting Side Hustle Pro to 44222. You'll get my weekly Six Bullet Saturday newsletters where I share what I'm up to, what I'm reading, my business tip of the week, and resources to help you grow your side hustle. And I'm working behind the scenes on some live events, which my email list will get access to first. So make sure you're in the loop. Text Side Hustle Pro to 44222 or visit sidehustlepro.co slash SBS.